Hi, book lovers. This is Ellen Hildebrand, best-selling author of 30 books, including The Hotel Nantucket and The Perfect Couple. And this is Tim Ehrenberg, creator of Tim Talks Books. And you're listening to Books, Beach and Beyond, presented by N Magazine. We'll be diving into the wonderful world of books and featuring special guests from best-selling and award-winning writers, publishing industry insiders, agents and editors, book influencers, and more. There's nothing Ellen and I love more than talking about books. And our favorite question to ask each other is, what are you reading? But we'll go even further here on the show, exploring the craft of writing, the process of book publishing, and that wonderful connection a reader has with a favorite book. But before we head into our episode, we want to take this opportunity to thank our incredible premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina, and Nantucket Looms. Without their generous support, we wouldn't be able to bring you these fascinating conversations with some of the most dynamic leaders from the book world. So thank you. And now on to the show. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Tim. Today is our final podcast recording of the year. I can't believe it. I can't believe we did it. I can't believe it. We did it. I want to start by saying that it's just you and I today. We don't have a guest. That's right. What will we talk about? Let's find something. Well, I'm going to start with some thank yous because this podcast would not be possible with a bunch of thank yous. And I'm going to start with one of my dearest friends, Emmy Duncan, our producer from N Magazine. I called her in the spring. I said, Ellen and I want to do a podcast. Can you help make it happen? And she really did. Yeah. So thank you so much, Emmy. Our technical director here in the studio, Kit Noble, he's right here. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for everything. <laughs> we we were frustrating for Kit at times, <laughs> at times. More just for the photos when we wanted photo ops. Yeah. Well, He's also a very talented photographer. So we, ha- we have uh, one-stop one, one shop here with Absolutely. our tech director. That's right. And then our editor, Brian Murphy. Oh my gosh. He's incredible. Yes, we don't pay him enough. And I want to thank all of our sponsors, our premiere sponsors, our episode sponsors, and our listeners. All of those people, this would not be possible without. So thank you. What was your favorite part about this project? So I really wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't sure. I didn't know how it was going to go. And I feel like from the very first podcast where we had my agent and my editor on, and then when we had Taylor Jenkins read on, I'm like, these people, these authors, I mean, I'm always on the other side of the podcast. I'm always the one being asked the questions. And so it was so interesting to hear other writers, a lot of them you know, have a lot of similarities with me and, you know, we're all in the same business. And so it's so interesting for us to sort of dish and gossip and, and say, yeah, like I've been through that too. And I just loved hearing other people's perspectives. I agree. Did you have a favorite episode or a favorite moment? I mean, I think my favorite episode was Ann Patchett only because, well, first of all, she's an incredible guest, but she's been a hero of mine for so long. One of the things that Ann and I talked about when she was on the podcast was when I was a student at Iowa and she was already a writer. And you can't underestimate how that influenced me because I had no idea where I was going. I didn't know if I was ever going to publish a book. And yet I had seen this woman who had gone through Iowa, who was also who also said she was miserable and I was miserable. And I thought, okay, well, and she went on to publish these books that I have read and admired. And so 
she has always been sort of a North Star for me. And then to have her on the podcast was like super meaningful for me. I loved that episode because I just want to be her best friend. I also loved the Jenna Bush Hager episode because I just felt like it was three friends talking about what they were reading. Exactly. So many book recommendations from that one. She's delightful. Yes. She's absolutely, and such like an interesting, smart reader too. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, moments from each one. I think my favorite moments were when I asked a question to you and our guest about specific characters. Because these characters for a reader like me are so real. All of yours through all 30 of your books, all of our guests. And when I would get to ask the, the creator of those characters has, was so much fun. And to hear you guys banter back and forth. I also got so many book recommendations from this podcast. <laughs> it's not that we didn't have enough. Right. And I thought it was so... You texted me and you were like, we should be... People are asking to write these book recommendations down. And I was like, who has the time? Who has the so time? So I asked my mother. Yeah. She re-listened to all the episodes and wrote them all down. Thank and you, I got, Lori. Thank you, Lori. I got so many, so many book recommendations from our own podcast. And the one that really jumps out at me that I just recently read was Joshua Ferris's Then We Came to an oh, End. Yeah. Ann Patchett recommended it to yes. us. It is about an office. It is written in the point of view that you write your some of your Nantucket stories in the we. Yeah. What is that called again, that point it's of view? the first person plural. And the whole book is written yes. like that. Did That's you read a, it? I did indeed. Yeah. Josh is a friend of mine. It it's it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It made me think I have never I never worked in an office. I never had a nine to five. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I worked in publishing. Yeah. And I think is that it? I worked the I worked at the Inquirer Mirror here for a while. I don't know if I'd call that an office job, although I did have a desk chair. So okay. yeah, maybe it was. Yeah. What was your first job? My first job ever? Yeah. I worked at the Halloween costume factory. Oh my gosh. I told you that story. I thought you worked at Pizza Hut. I didn't last at Pizza Hut beyond the training. <laughs> I might have done one day at Pizza Hut. I don't know if we can count it. Okay. So, okay. Halloween costume store. Oops. Yeah. I also worked at Gimbel's. I, I worked on men's accessories at Gimbel's. Gimbel's is a Philadelphia, was a Philadelphia area department store. It was at the King of Prussia Mall, which is one of the biggest malls in the country. And yeah, I worked in men's accessories. Maybe that was my first job. And then I worked at the Maybe Halloween that's where your 7% of male readership comes from. Could be. Is that One job. never knows. I am an expert in I, male accessories. My first job was at Subway. I was a sandwich artist. I wish I'd come in when you were there. And this is when, back in the day, when Subway only had two bread choices, white (gasps) or wheat. Oh my gosh. And now they have like... Oh yeah, Italian herbs and asiago. I was so prepubescent. My voice was so high. I was in eighth grade. I sounded like Pinocchio. (laughs) And people would come in and they they would be like, tell the lady what you want. And I... I'm a boy! (laughs) And then finally, I was like, this is so embarrassing and scarring for an eight-year-old boy that I'm just going to stop saying it. So I survived to tell to tell that tale, okay, though. Okay, I didn't know Any that. other book recommendations from our podcast? From our podcast? Yeah. That I can remember? Yeah. I mean, there were so many. That you read that maybe after someone recommended it or talked about it that you picked up? No. I read Valentine because you and Jenna okay, really talked about Valentine. it a lot. It was so good. I mean, my list, my stack, it's, I have just, for those of you, I don't know when you'll be listening to this, but I have just returned to Nantucket for a stroll. I've been in Boston for six weeks. So I haven't been home for six weeks. How many galleys do you think were waiting for me when I got home? No, oh, hundreds. And I'm telling you. And so my entire nightstand is just, uh, the books, I don't even really have room anymore. So I'm like not seeking out other books because got I've got such an enormous pile. Well, a few days ago on Instagram, I put out there if you wanted to ask us questions to write that in an Instagram post and that we would shout you out by name. So throughout this episode, I'll kind of pepper those in. 
And I'm going to start because we're talking about reading and our and our reading life with Julie Hewitt asked us if we read digitally or holding a book. And I'm going to start by saying this is one of the most old school things about me. I have to hold a book, feel the pages, smell the pages. What about you? Absolutely. In 2009, I had a Kindle. That year, my then husband and the kids and I went to Vietnam. And it was we were there for six weeks. And so I needed... The Kindle was mandatory at that point because I was reading so copiously. And I think it, I had 11 books loaded up on my Kindle. I think I took a couple actual books, but I had them all loaded. And then that was so great for me because, you know, I was traveling as a family of five. I didn't have 11 books in my bag. Yeah. And then later in that year, in 2009, I was in Isla Mirada visiting friends and I was sitting on the end of a dock. Doesn't that sound heavenly? And my Kindle went into the water. Oh, no. And I called my then husband in a panic and I said, you have to go to the find a bookstore immediately. And this is the book I was reading and you need to find this book. I was in the middle of it. And he did so and that it was all fine. But then I never, ever got the, I never got another Kindle. Yeah. I've tried on the digital and I just can't do it. I mean, that's why when we go on vacation, I have a whole separate suitcase for all my galleys and, and books. I'll tell you what though, Tim, there have been emergency moments when, because I travel so much, I do 40 events a year and I'm always, and I travel, I do vacations and stuff. I'm I'm away a lot. And there have been emergency moments when I've finished my book before I've gotten home mm-hmm. and I'm left without a book and I will download onto my phone, like iBooks or whatever, Apple Books. Yeah. And I've done that two or three times because I'm like, I can't not have something to read. Yes. Okay, well, I I get that. I get that. Shelby White asked us where we like to read. Where do you read? Well, I read in bed before I go to sleep. I read on my sofa. I read out by my pool. Obviously, I know you read out by your pool. Yeah. I also really like, if I really want to be focused on it, I like sit at the dining room table and read sometimes. You're kidding me. No. That is so weird. (laughs) Now that I'm in Boston by myself, though, I do, if I'm eating lunch or whatever, I will bring my book to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And then Peggy Mill wants to know how long we read in a day. It really varies on the time of year. I read, I would guess if somebody was timing me, I read at least an hour a day. Okay. Minimum. I would say probably three for me. Okay. But I read a lot at night. Yeah. Because I don't really watch TV, but you watch a lot of TV. I do watch a lot of TV. Yeah. So it leads us into our favorite books of the year. We are coming to the close. New York Times just put out their top 10, which is so interesting because when we were talking to Gilbert Cruz way months and months and months ago, they started that process and to see the top 10 there. So what are some of your favorites of 2023? I'm trying to think. I think my favorite book of the year was Everything's Fine by Cecilia Rabbis. This is the black woman working on Wall Street among primarily white men. She has sort of a an unlikely love affair. It is so good. It is so, 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 so good. Second favorite, Quitter's Paradise, which was a, a Sarah Jessica Parker imprint novel. And of course, I didn't write down the author's name. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay. Quitter's Paradise. And then... My third was Half Moon by Mary Beth Keane. Okay. Loved, loved. Set at a bar in upstate New York or right outside the city. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's totally your brand. It's a marriage story. Yep. It's loved it. so good. I think I'm going to give my favorite to Tom Lake by Ann Patchett because I think it was just, it's just such a sweet story. And what it really made me do is think that your parents have a whole life and story that you don't even know way beyond you. I always laugh that... I'm really close with my parents, so I always call them 
like pretty much every day. And when they don't answer, I always go, what could they possibly be doing other than being my parents? Right. And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I was at lunch with friends. And I was like, what, what, what does that have to do with me? Right. So I guess my, I want to throw out a question to you. What do you think your children don't know about you? You know what's so funny? They know, they don't know a lot less about me than I didn't know about my own parents because of the way the world has changed. So, you know, they know who my, and also just like the way that generationally we've changed interacting with our kids. Yeah. So one of the things, in fact, it's so interesting because in a, another day or two, I'm going to have something. I wrote an article about parenting for Grown and Flown. Mm hmm which is a, a great blog and an Instagram account, which is about the parents of grown children. And one of the things I talk about there is how we share content. So the one of the ways I stay close with my kids, my kids are 23, 23, 21, and 18, is we I try and share content, by which I mean we watch the same shows, we listen to the same music, mm-hmm. you know, I would say we read the same books, except the boys don't read, but Shelby and I like try to read the same books so that we're ingesting the same things. But it even like the boys and I all watched Yellowstone at the same time Mm -hmm. so that I could go into the room where they watch it. And I'm like, okay, what part are you at? And we know the characters and, you know, they were the ones that told me about Squid Game and I didn't, had never even heard of it. And, you know, Shelby's sending me like the new Jack Harlow song and, and, and things like that. So that when I never shared content with my parents, Mm -hmm. yeah, there was one moment I remember of course, my father died when I was 16, but so it's very fond memory of being in eighth or ninth grade. And there was a Matthew Wilder song called Break My Stride. And we were all in the station wagon and I was in the back, 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 the backity back of the station wagon back when people used to do that. (laughs) And the song came on and my dad said, we call, you know, Judy, my stepmother, he goes, Judy and I call this Ellen's song because I know you like it. And that felt so good because it's like, oh my God, they see me and they, then they, think of me when I'm not there. Yeah. And I always remember that as being like a magical moment. So that's why I really like to share content with the kids. Yeah. You're very right. I mean, it has changed. I mean, even my parents with with me as opposed to what they had. And I think my other favorite book was Speech Scene by Tim Murphy. Loved it. So that book is about four people that reunite and they want to go confront a teacher in high school that kind of wronged them. Is there anyone in your past that you would go confront? I don't think so, but I'll tell you what. I was in the marching band. Some This is something that children probably would not, would be hard-pressed to tell you. I played the clarinet in the marching band. Talk about nerdy. People are always like, <laughs> were you a cheerleader in high school? I'm like, let's go the opposite. I was, played the clarinet in the marching band. Do you know that I know this? Because when I was at your house the last time, we Heather, your sister, brought out that yeah. magical book that your mother oh, made, right, which yeah. is like a whole scrapbook of yeah. Ellen's life. Yeah. So I was in the marching band and I feel like we... We didn't like the band director. And I feel like if I was going to go back and visit a p- people in high school, there would be like a group of us from marching band. And we would just, I don't think we would confront him, but we'd be like, wow, he was a real jerk. <laughs> and I and he went on to be very successful and became, I think, a superintendent of schools or, or whatever. But at the time, ugh, hard. Yeah. Well, it's not good to live in the past, but I always, it really got <laughs> made, it made me think of if there was anyone that you would want to go back to. What about books that you're looking forward to in 2024? I really want to read Northwoods. Mm-hmm. Did you read it? By Daniel Mason? Yes. Is that right? No, I didn't. But that okay. was one of the New York Times top 10 books, okay, right? That's, yeah. I want to read that. And I want to read We the Animals because just Justin Torres just won the Booker for... The National Book Award, yeah. Oh, he won the National Book Award for... 
Blackouts. Blackouts. And so We the Animals is his first book. So I'm going to read that. Yeah. I may try and squeeze those into 2023. Okay. Uh, what about you for 2024? Because I, I need to get my wheels turning. Like, what am I going to read in 2024? So I am really excited about Chris Whitaker's All the Colors of the Dark. He has a new one. He wrote We Begin okay. at the End. And yes. I really can't wait for that one. That's a great title. I just read actually a book that is coming out in January that is just more of a fun murder mystery it's called Everyone on This Train is a Suspect by oh, Benjamin Stevenson. That's so in your wheelhouse. I know. And it's about a literary festival that takes place on a tra- in a train. Oh my and God. it's like all these different literary authors from different genres. Oh, and they're all that. not getting along. Okay, and I'm it's all inside baseball that we, you know, we I love. love. And then it's a whodunit in that like which one like I wrote on my bookmark all the characters and the lead character. Ernest, he breaks the fourth wall a lot. So he like talks to the audience, which I it's kind of like. Oh, cute. Okay, yeah. So that's a really I'm great one. That. And then Jay Courtney Sullivan has The Cliffs <gasps> Out. Yes, I would say that would be one that I'm looking forward to. And it looks incredible. I if can't If anybody, is it is it coming from Knopf? If, it is, yes. If, if Reagan, if you're listening to this podcast, can you please send me The Cliffs by Courtney Sullivan? Thank you. I know, me too. Well, actually, I know mine's coming, so I should have asked for two. Okay. I mean, yes. I think if you're listening to this podcast, though, your most anticipated book of 2024 is... Drum roll, please. Swan song. <gasps> Swan song. You and I did a brief video thing about it, but I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about Swan Song because I know that you actually just turned in your final edit, correct? I did, yeah. How do you feel? First of all, I cry every time I've read it, when you get to the end, I'm sob I'm sobbing. I'm sobbing. And my guess is that some of my readers were all will also be sad. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is a swan song. It's a goodbye. And, but it's also, it has a mystery. So it's about this couple called Bull and Leslie Richardson who come to Nantucket from nowhere. Nobody knows where they're from really. And they buy this $22 million house up in Pacamo. Mm -hmm. And and then they buy an enormous yacht and they don't sail. And um, (laughs) they hire a personal assistant, a woman from Arkansas, whom they meet in St. John in the Virgin Islands. She's bartending down in the Virgin Islands. And they meet her down there and and she sort of finagles her way to become their personal assistant. And she comes up to Nantucket and she, on the boat, over meets Casey Kapanash, who is the daughter of Ed Kapanash, our police chief. Mm -hmm. Now... Ed Kapanash, is, it's his last summer. He's retiring. So Casey and Coco strike up a friendship. Coco's working for the Richardsons. The Richardsons then infiltrate Nantucket society, including the castaways who make a reappearance. So Delilah and Jeffrey and Phoebe and Addison. And then, of course, the Kapanashes, they start socializing. The Richardsons throw outrageous parties. And so... Everyone on Nantucket, Blonde Sharon's there, Fast Eddie's there. Everyone goes to these parties and and then, you know, the wheels start to fall off the bus. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. And now a short break to thank our sponsor, Book of the Month. Think of something awesome. Rain on a still roof, awesome. Or receiving mail that isn't a bill. That smell when cake is ready in the oven. Actually, I'm talking about Book of the Month. They're cooler than a frozen cucumber cool. Why? Not only is it cool to see a company so dedicated to fiction, they also feature the best new books, including some of my own, and are always spotlighting new and emerging authors. They're the best at helping people read more and read better. For a limited time, get your first book for just $5 with offer code ELLIN, E-L-I-N, by visiting bookofthemonth.com. 
So even the casual reader, Tim, should get a Book of the Month subscription. This is why. Every month, they pick five selections, five novels, and that is how I always figure out like what the big titles of the month are going to be. And you get to pick one, and it's incredibly reasonably priced. Agree. I mean, did you know that I got to actually write a recommendation for Book of the Month that was so exciting for me that I got to write one of those picks? Oh my did you gosh, know that? no, I didn't know that. That's amazing. They also have added audiobooks, which I think is really crucial for readers who like to listen to their books. Yeah, absolutely. So you can either pick your audiobook or a hardcover when you go in to make your selection. The one great thing, this is a perfect gift. If we're looking at the holidays looming up ahead, it's the perfect gift for someone that you don't know that well, like your child's teacher or the college counselor who's been helping your child apply to schools. I know a lot of you are in that boat or you know, people that you just don't know that well, but you know, love reading. Exactly. Well, okay. Remember, go to bookofthemonth.com and use code Ellen, E-L-I-N, for a discount off your book. Wonderful. Thank you, Book of the Month. Thank you. I, I heard, saw you mention on Instagram that if you want to get ready for this book, you need to read The Castaways, like you just mentioned, and The Rumor. Aaron's Spardarelli, sorry, Spardelli, I'm sorry if I butchered that name, asked if you ever reread those books before you prep for another oh, one. Did you read those oh, two? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I read both of them because I, I, I wrote The Castaways in 2009. How many years ago was that? That's 14 years ago. Wow. So that's a long time ago. And the kids were little. I mean, I don't even remember. Anyway, it was brand new to me. And I'm like, oh, this is good. <laughs> and then I reread the rumor because Fast Eddie is in it. And I and Grace and Benton Co is in it. I mean, all these. And but I, what I want to say is that it is also a standalone. You do not need to know who any of those people are. Yeah. If you do know who those people are, it is so much like going to a party where you know people already in the room. It's yeah. like a better experience, I think. But you don't need to have read them. And it's always been a point of mine that I always want the summer books to be standalones because there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like you're coming in uninformed or halfway through. Yeah. Your publisher is re-releasing those two, I think, yes, in the spring. they're re-releasing yeah. them in April. Castaways was my first Ellen Hildebrand oh, book nice. up that I picked up before oh, nice. I even even knew you existed. Oh. What was the early reader response on that? Who's read Swan Song right now? So the people who have read Swan Song are my editor, Judy Klein, mm -hmm. my agents, Michael Carlisle and David Forer, Nicole Kidman, it's amazing. And Jenna Lumia, who is the showrunner for The Perfect Couple. Yeah. The reason why Nicole and Jenna have read the book early is because we are using the swan song as season two for The Perfect Couple show. That's incredible news, which I knew, so I don't know why I'm sounding so shocked. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, and Gail Berman, my producer Gail Berman has also read it. So she wrote to me just a day or two ago. Okay. What is everyone saying? Oh, I mean, they are saying, oh, my gosh, they love it. It is, you know, Gail, I think two days ago wrote and said, this is the perfect swan song. Oh. Like, talk about talk about the perfect swan song, because it, it is very much it's many, many things. But one of the things that is, is it's a it's a it's a goodbye and it's going out on a high note. Yeah. Well, you said the ending will make. I mean, makes you cry, yeah. make everyone Every cry. Every time I read it. Judy, well, Judy, my editor, she says she can't read. She can't read the ending without crying. Lori Hummel asked us or asked you, if you could rewrite any ending to any of your books, what would it be? You know, I always say that I like to set my characters down in a safe place and move away. I haven't reread Nantucket Nights in over 20 years. Okay. So it came out in 2002. Yeah. And that has a really tricky ending. And if I had 
to, if someone said you get a chance to rewrite one of your books, which one would it be? I would be like Nantucket Nights. But I say that without actually having read it. So in a long, long time. Yeah. But I, I have a feeling that would be the one, you know, in theory, when you're a novelist, your books should get better as they go along. Before I wrote The Hotel Nantucket, I read The Beach Club because that's also about a hotel. And I thought oh, I better read it. And I thought it really held up. Like, yeah, it's good. I agree. Beach Club is one of my like last ones I've read and I loved it. Yeah. And so I felt good about that. But I would like to take another look at Nantucket Nights. We mentioned this in that little video on Instagram, but our bookstores, Nantucket Book Partners, has a very special edition of Swan Song that you can order at NantucketBookPartners.com. And it'll have um, special end papers with art from Meredith Hansen that matches wallpaper in your powder room. Is that up yet? No, but the powder room is it's getting ready for the for the wallpaper. Okay. I'm so excited. That's definitely going on my Instagram. So you will have that in your book. And then also it'll have special content. So it'll be an interview between you and I. And there will be all these things that we'll come up with that'll be very special. You can't get it anywhere else for this exclusive edition. And it's pretty unprecedented that a publisher is supplying this for one indie bookstore. Absolutely. Absolutely unprecedented. This is the only time I think it's ever happened. I've been working with Little Brown on this for the last year, and I'm so excited that it's going to happen. It's huge yeah. for the bookstores, and we and we thank you. So NantucketBookPartners.com to order that exclusive edition. But if you aren't a physical book reader and you're an audio book reader, there were so many questions about your audio reader, Erin Bennett. Yes. Jessica Bacon asked about her. Did, have you met her? Did you get to choose her? I did not choose her and I have not met her in person. We are friends on Facebook. That okay. is what I can say. And Do I, you listen to them? I don't. Okay. But they're good. She's good. Oh no. Everybody raves about her. And she wins. I guess there are awards such as the Academy Awards, except they're for audiobooks called the Audis, and she wins. She also, in addition to my books, she also did the narration for Caitlyn Jenner's autobiography or whatever. And and I think that's what she ended up winning for. But yeah, people rave. I, I, I've listened to them um, when I like, because I read it so early. And right. so when it comes out, I want to be part of the, when okay. everyone's so, so excited. So I listen to that on my runs and she's she's outstanding. How long has she been doing it? Do you um, know? I'm trying to think what book she started with and I don't know the answer, but a while. Yeah. A while. And I've had other Broadway act actors come to me and say, can I get a shot at narrating your audiobooks? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not leaving it. Erin. Like, yeah. She's the best. She is. She's very good. And I can't, I'm going to listen to that last chapter of Swan Song and she'll make us all cry. So all you audiobook listeners out there, Erin will definitely be on Swan Song. You think she'll do the boarding school novels? She might. Do you think there'll be a kid too? I don't know. Like a teenager? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So you brought up Nick Kidman, Nicole Kidman and the perfect couple. Are there any updates for us because all of the hundreds of writer strikes seem to be over. Yeah. So an actor strike. So where are we at? Okay. So on November 9th, which was the day the strike ended, my producers, everybody flew to London. Netflix was very kind and generous and built sound screens over in London during the actor strike and the writer strike in anticipation of everybody gathering there at some point this fall. They didn't know when, obviously, mm -hmm. to start shooting. So it is... Now, late in November, I heard from Nicole this morning. She said they are filming the Greer's book launch party scene today. Oh, my and gosh. I know. And they have, she says, we're in the thick of it. <laughs> so it's exciting. Yeah, they, they're trying to finish this week, I believe. And I don't know what that means for when it's 
supposed to come out because I know they have to get some Nantucket shots that were picketed at the end of September. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what the status of that is, but we're just, so the answer to the question of what is going to come out, I don't know. Okay. I I really don't, but I do know that they are presently filming the last shots, the last scenes that they need to get. That is so exciting. I cannot wait to be there with you when that, when we're watching that. It's going to be incredible. Dana Early asked, if there was any other book of yours that you for sure want to see on the screen, because we know we're getting the perfect couple at some point, what is the other work of yours that you want to see? I mean, that's a hard question because I have a lot in development at this point. This week and next week really is a hard push for the Five Star Weekend. And I, and I, I of course, would love to see the... I think the Five Star Weekend would be so good for American women mm-hmm. to see it, especially of a certain age, Yeah, you know, 50-something, 60-something, 40-something American women don't often see themselves on the screen. And I think it would be really great if that got made. The Hotel Nantucket, of course, would be amazing. Summer of 69, I'm in the midst of watching Lessons in Chemistry, and that has the same sort of vintage feel that I think Summer of 69 would have. Mm -hmm. And the Winter Street series, you know, which has just been waiting for its moment, I think. Well, perfect segue because in two days, we will see it with the Winter Street on some sort of... We'll see it on the stage. Yeah. Will you tell everyone what Theater Workshop of Nantucket and Justin Cherney put together here on Nantucket? Yeah. So Justin and I have been friends for a long time. I don't know if you saw it, but back in 2016, I was in a production of Nora Ephron's Love Lost and What I Wore. Mm-hmm. And I met Justin then and and he... It went all went really quickly because sometime at the end of August, beginning of September, he said, I've I've written a play based on the Winter Street books. I'm going to drop it off so you can read it. And then we'd like to produce it this Thanksgiving and stroll. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's fast. Yeah. And Hollywood moves at glacier speed. <laughs> I'm like, this is like so fast. So he came over, gave me the script. I read it. I thought, this is magnificent. It combines all four books. And then I gave him the thumbs up. And they took the ball and ran with it. They went to New York, they casted it, and they went into production and rehearsals. And apparently the cast really loves each other. And everybody I've heard from, because it was in showed last week, and everyone loves it. On Thanksgiving, one of my dear friends who's in the play, Sarah Fraunfelder, she plays Mitzi, which yeah. I didn't realize until she told me, had a gathering of the cast. So I got to meet everyone and I was like, oh, there's Margaret. Oh my God, there's, yeah, so I'm, fun. We're going to go see it on Friday for well, the first time. You and I time. are seeing it on Friday. I know, I'm, I'm so excited. so excited. What are you most excited to see? I don't know. I have a teeny tiny cameo in it. Oh, I did not know this. Well, I'm, I, don't, I won't say anymore. Okay, okay. Um, so I'll be surprised. I'm, exci- I'm excited for that, but I just want to... It's so funny because this will actually be the very first time I see any kind of production of my... I know. That's... Because The Perfect Couple's not out yet. So yeah. this is going to be the very first time. And they've been so generous. They call it Ellen Hildebrand's Winter Street, which of course it is. But I mean, it's... My daughter went on Sunday. She goes, Mom, your name is everywhere. And I'm like, this is so exciting. <laughs> I'm really... I can't... I can't wait. And I, I've read it. So I know... Yeah. I know that it's going to be good. And I want to see it brought to life. It's going to be so much fun. And it'll really kick off the the holiday season yeah. here for us. So I am going to get into a little bit of Christmas traditions because you did write a whole four book series on Christmas. I did. So what are some things from your childhood that you really remember about the holidays? Okay. So my mom, Sally Hildebrand, is a a Christmas fanatic. I don't mm-hmm. know how else to put it. When 
I think, I guess, was it 69 or 70? Might've been 70. 1970, my brother and I, twin brother and I are one. She started making an ornament every year. And she makes, I don't know, I was up to like 120 or 130 ornaments. And she's been doing it for almost 50 years. I mean, over 50 years. Yeah. So what I remember most about like the weeks leading up to Christmas is my mom in her room doing her crafting because she's making all these ornaments. She takes them everywhere with her. But we always had like people that I know have known for a long time have trees that have sex, the Sally Hildebrand section of their tree because they're all like she puts like I, I can't describe them, but they're all homemade felt or like she did want she did a, a Santa. And when I was in third grade, she did a Santa, which was an egg that she had to blow the innards of the egg out. And then she had the empty eggshell and she did a Santa face and glued cotton on. I mean, it, they're adorable. So we used to have caroling parties like when I was in middle school which I remember very fondly. And I was in the chorus, of course, in the band. I've already talked about this, but I was in the chorus also. And we used to go and sing like at churches. And we used to go to the old folks home. And I can remember getting on the bus in mm-hmm. high school and like going and singing it, you know, and we do it like on a week, on a weeknight. And I mean, I just, I love the holiday. That makes me, reminds me that you and I share something. We were both in a production of Charlie Brown at some point in our life. Yes, we were. Speaking of theater workshop, I did when I first moved here, I was Charlie Brown and you're a good man, Charlie Brown for theater workshop. And then I met Je- Justin that first year. Yeah, I and- was Peppermint Patty. It was seventh grade. I, however, remember the song. <laughs> and, and I do not. And did we say that I was going to sing part of it? Yes, you were. Okay. If I start writing now when I'm not really rested, it would upset my thinking, which is not good at all. I'll get, I'm going to stop. Fresh start tomorrow. That's incredible. (laughs) If this writing thing doesn't work out, we know, we know where to find you. Uh, Yeah. Where? I mean, sitting, singing in my shower. Speaking of singing, what's your favorite Christmas carol? Oh, Holy Night. Okay. See, I'm tied with that one or Mary, did you know? I love Mary, did you know? I don't, Do you not know that? Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? Oh, Mary, did you know? You know it. Sing it. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to go home. <laughs> I'm going to go home and put down my Apple tunes. And also, like, some of my Christmas traditions are all about decor. Just talking about oh, your mom. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. it's like light, bright, those light, bright trees. Yeah, 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 or yeah. Or like a very matted looking Santa, I remember. And then I loved my manger scene. Like, yes, I loved putting that out. Yes, me too, me too. And I feel like my mom hated it. She hated the straw that would yes, get everywhere because right, I really correct. wanted the straw. Absolutely. So as the years went by and I didn't live there anymore, it would always be so painful for her to put out the manger scene. And then I would notice that like all of a sudden Joseph was like out by the wise men and she like just kind of half-assed no. our manger scene. I was okay, like, no. mom. And she's like, no, that's not Joseph. That's a that's his myrrh. That's his frankincense. And right. I was like, no, 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 mom. I know. But I just, I love Christmas decor. And because like your Winter Street books made me want to get those Stein, like the nutcrackers and the yeah, buyer's the, my choice. Mom also, she collected nutcrackers and my stepmother had the buyer's car- choice carolers. I mean, that was Judy's thing. She had all the buyer's choice carolers. I mean, that's actually my favorite part of the Winter Street series is all the decorations yeah. that Mitzi gets so excited to put out. So what's your favorite Christmas movie? The Family Stone. There is no, as far as I'm concerned, there's no competition. The Family Stone, it, it reminds me of Winter Street and maybe was a little bit of an inspiration for Winter Street because it's this big family, yeah. right? Lots of drama. It's a, an ensemble cast and it's my dream. And when I was talking to the their producers that are interested in buying the Winter Street series and I was talking to the guy and I said, I want the Family Stone. 
you know, but I mean, that has now come out so many years ago, but that it's is so absolutely sad. my favorite. And I think my second favorite is The Grinch. Okay. But the animated, the original. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mine's Home Alone. Yeah. Both of them I watch yeah. every single, yeah. every single year. Emma Foster asked if we've ever watched a movie and thought this would make a great book. Have you ever seen a movie and been like, I would love to read that book? Well, what I'm going to say is yes. And the answer is same time next year. Because okay. I oh. watched the movie yep. as a child. Well, not when I say child, I was four, 13 or 14. And I saw same time next year. And I thought I could do that better. I could write that book better. Yeah. And the answer, of course, is 28 Summers. Oh, I love that answer. I have horrible taste in movies. My favorite movie is Titanic. I would watch it every day. Oh, and I think that that would... <laughs> I think that would make a great book. Okay. Not you don't agree? You wouldn't read but, it? No. Um, I don't know. So what Jessica Grammer wants to know what you're cooking for the holidays. What I'm cooking for the holidays. So I'm having a Christmas party, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. And for the Christmas party, you know, I do tenderloin sandwiches and chicken salad sandwiches. And I do a lot of like I do my roasted onion dip that's in the five star weekend. And I always do my pine nut my chive and pine nut dip, which I think the recipe's in the back of Winter Street. For the kids and I, we do our big dinner on Christmas Eve, and that is a standing rib roast, the borson potatoes, salad bread, and then I do, I normally do the chocolate wishing cake, but the kids really love my tres leches cake, so I might do a tres leches cake this year instead. And then on Christmas Day, I will do some breakfast items, and then we have caviar, champagne, in the middle of the day. And then honestly, always on Christmas night, I take all the decorations down, take the tree down because I go away. We go, we've almost always gone away on the 26th. And oh, wow. And, and Shelby and I are going to Palm Beach this year. Yeah. So Nice. Yeah. Charlene Keller asked us, what's on our holiday wish lists? Do you have So anything? nobody buys me presents. I'm in that <laughs> You're weird. You're a very hard person I'm to buy I'm in that for. weird it, well, I don't know. I love, as you know, I love candles. I love yes. any kind of candle. I love holiday candles. I love, to, you know, I've got my special candlestick, so I love taper candles. I love funny cocktail napkins. I'm really e- very easy to buy for. Oh, okay. I love well. any kind of like serving dish or like cute. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If the children were smart, <laughs> I, they would do. I mean, Shelby, Shelby's pretty good. She's boys, getting better. I don't know what the boys, the boys. Do you have a favorite Christmas story? Like a Christmas book? Do I have a favorite Christmas book? Do you have a favorite Christmas book? I really love Wally Lamb's Wishing and Hoping. Oh. It's like a short kind of novella. Oh, cute. Yeah. I, I guess no. I mean, none that come to mind. I, I, I really don't read Christmas, like aggressively Christmas books. Yeah. Which is funny because I did write four of them. Well, Steph Trunk said that she's rereading. She always rereads the Winter Street series for the, she said, umpteenth time that you always reread. Do you reread books? I do sometimes. So I've read Family Happiness by Laurie Colwin, oh, I don't know, four times probably. And then I've read Catcher in the Rye. J.D. Salinger is my other go-to, like just for rereading mm-hmm. because I think his his language is perfect. And I really, I love his writing. So books like that. I just reread A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley because Shelby <laughs> was going to maybe do a paper on it. I thought I, I lo- loved that book so much. I better reread it. Yeah. I always reread eleven twenty two sixty three by Stephen King on the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. Did you just read it last yes, week then? Yes, I did. did. You? 
Because I think time travel is so interesting in a book because you can get so many different things from it. Yeah. And then it was the 60th anniversary. Yes. So I for sure wanted to read it. And it just, that book really puts you in, I know it's not necessarily your cup of tea because it's like 800 pages. I and don't know if I can do history, it. But it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I, I really want you to read it someday. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break so we can thank one of our sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners. Nantucket Book Partners is my home away from home and consists of two independent bookstores, Mitchell's Book Corner and Nantucket Bookworks. Owned by my dear friend, Wendy Hudson, Mitchell's is located at 54 Main Street and has that classic, timeless bookstore feeling with a Nantucket room upstairs. Just down the street is Nantucket Bookworks, located at 25 Broad Street and features a children's room and a chocolate corner. You can shop with them online at nantucketbookpartners.com for signed copies of all my books, plus Ellen Hildebrand merchandise. Thank you, Nantucket Book Partners. Visit both for the full story. We have some very exciting news for Nantucket Book Partners. We do. Something unprecedented that no publisher really has ever done for one indie bookstore. Nobody has ever done this. Can you tell everyone? We are having an exclusive Swan Song edition that is coming from Nantucket Book Partners. It's going to be gorgeous. We have gorgeous end papers that are done by an artist here, Meredith Hansen, who actually did wallpaper for you. Yeah, she did wallpaper for my powder room. It's possible that by the time you listen to this, my powder room will be finished. It's also possible it won't be finished. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have bonus content, which will include an interview that I'll be asking you questions from all 30 of your novels. We'll maybe have recipes and just we have to work out all those details. It'll be a little extra. So if you want this exclusive edition of Swan Song, www.nantucketbookpartners.com and you can get that all summer too. Signed and personalized. Yep, absolutely. This is going to be the edition to have. Thank you, Nantucket Book Partners. Thank you. So highlight, low light of the year. Highlight, low light of the year. So I'm going to say the low light first, which was the writer strike. So the writer strike and the SAG strike. I obviously supported both unions to the hilt. Yep. However, the perfect couple did get picketed twice, got picketed by the writers in June and put an end to the production over in Chatham. And then it got picketed here on Nantucket in September by the actors. And so that was, it was a buzzkill just because, because it's just a conflict. Like it's just a conflict that I, you know, I wanted the writers and the actors to get what they want, but I also wanted the production of The Perfect Couple to go forward. So it was really, I was in a tough spot there. And what was the highlight? What was the highlight of my year? I've had so many. I've I mean, it has so to be many. all the extra time with me, your work it husband. It was really great. <laughs> it was really great. I had a very busy summer. I'll tell you what, let me tell you what I think the highlight of my year was. On the, I think it was the 19th or 20th of August, I went to the Boys and Girls Club annual Summer Groove which is something I go to every year. I've chaired it three years in a row back when I was much younger and then wrote a novel about it called A Summer Affair. (laughs) But this year, they auctioned off a book group with me. And it's always hit or miss when you're in the room and they're going to auction auction you off. It's awkward. It can be awkward. Yeah, for all those prizes, but especially if it's about someone. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. You just never know which way it's going to go. And and this year, it went for one hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it was epic. And it was epic. And it it I got very lucky in the way that it went. But that for me was a highlight. And I was also in that room, and it didn't start out 
that you know, it didn't start out that, that everyone was bidding. Right. So I was kind of like, oh, oh dear no. God, do I, I, am I going to have to bid? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then uh, thank God I didn't. I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, was, the, the, the best thing is that, you know, I sat on the board of the Boys and Girls Club for nine years. So it's like a cause I really, really support and love and think is so important. And f- to be able to to have contributed to them making a hundred grand. That was, that was, yeah. a, that was a big moment. It's for me. huge. You've raised yeah. a lot of money for a lot of, I mean, for the Nantucket book foundation, it was close to a hundred thousand dollars that you, that event that we do every summer yeah. did for us. So yeah. on behalf of so many organizations, the hospital, your, your front page of their fundraising. Yeah. I saw, yeah. I loved your statement that you said generally healthy person, but the four Greatest moments ever, not greatest, but most important, most important moments have yeah. been at the Nantucket County Hospital. Yeah. Well, just a few more questions from some Instagrammers here before we wrap up. Lean Keller and Susie Jones wanted to know how we met. Do you remember how we met? We met at the brewery. Yeah. Well, I technically, I, I was there. It was the month before James and I got married because we were getting married on Nantucket. I was sitting there. I did not know that I was at the brewery during the book fest, the first book festival. Okay, that's so funny. And I'm sitting down and I'm next to a very nice man that started a conversation with me who is your ex-husband, Chip. And I said, oh, I, I love books. And he's like, well, you're at a book festival and my wife is an author and brought you over and you signed our book. It was Summerland that was out. Yeah. And I still have that. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember that at yeah, all? Yeah, no, of course I do. It's just so crazy that I was also at the first book festival because yeah. now I'm so involved. Sakina Davis and Brendan Kuna asked if we would ever write a book together. Now, I know the answer, your answer is going to be no. The answer is no. But if we did, what do you think it would be about? I mean, that's a really good question. What do you think it would be about? I mean, I think it'd be a little autobiographical fiction of like like an author and someone that works with them. Oh. And then I think like murder mystery type thing. I would oh, definitely I want. Kill, I kill you. You kill me. You kill me. Okay. I ask you to do something. You get mad. And I, then <laughs> I kill you. <laughs> but then the whodunit wouldn't be good there. But I mean, I, I it's funny because I one time, I mean, I've read all my life and I was like, I'm, I'm going to write a book. Why can't I? Yeah. And so. I started writing some sort of murder mystery. I think I got maybe 10 sentences and I go, this is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. I think what it is, is when you're like, you have, I feel like you have to write each sentence, how it's going to be in the final. And I can't just like let it go and be written. So there's a lot of questions that people wrote in about advice for aspiring writers. Yeah. Do you have any? Well, I mean, the most, and, and, and this is a really recent story you guys, for those of you who want to write a novel, I sat down in February and thought, okay, I'm now going to write Swan Song. And I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't really know what direction it was going to take. And when I was in St. John for eight weeks, I kept rewriting the first 40 pages and I kept rewriting it, rewriting it, rewriting it. And I thought, what is, you know, then you have to get out of that. I'm like, you just have to move forward, Ellen. It just move forward and you can go back and fix it and it will be revealed, but you have to keep writing. And it's so hard, even for someone like me who's done it so many times. There were definitely moments in the middle of the summer where I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, this book is going to suck. Everyone's going to be so happy. I'm retiring because this book is going to be so bad. And I'm, you know, worried I can't get it right. And I felt that way with, definitely felt that way with the Hotel Nantucket. And I felt that way with Five Star Weekend. And every, all I can say is the most important thing is that you just keep moving forward in the piece. Mm -hmm. 
you can always go back and fix it. But I always say characters are like roommates that you move in with on day one. There is no chance you know those people when you move in with them. You know, we drop our kids off at college. The guy, he seems perfectly nice, right? And then at the end of the semester, it's like, oh my gosh, you've learned so many things about this other person. That is like writing. Yeah. You you do not know them when you sit down, you know, day one. To you, They have to be developed. And then, and in my case, when I go to Boston to do the revisions, that's always when the best work comes out. I then have Judy's comments and then I can go in and I know who I'm dealing with because I've been with them for the last seven months. And it's so much easier to write scenes when you know who you have. Yeah. And that metaphor, I'm sure, goes for plot too. Because just like life, you don't know how an ending is going to necessarily always happen or the middle or that's, that's right. just like life. I mean, so. I'm wise enough at this point to be like, I don't know how what's going to happen. I'll figure it out when I get to that scene. Like when I get to that scene, I'll figure out what's going to happen. But you need to really put yourself in the scene. The most important thing is every single word should be moving you towards, you know, your point, your ending, your narrative arc. Yeah. Well, that was Robin Berenger asks writing advice. And then Michelle Christensen asks for advice for readers, basically like when you're in a funk or how you find time to read. I always think like I do like to reread, but if I'm in a really big funk, everything I'm picking up is just not, I call it a book rut. I, I do reread, I pick up a book that I really knew I loved and reread a little bit of that. Or I think just something quick like a murder mystery. Do you ever get in reading f- funks? I've had as a beginning, so I've had a really good reading year. Like if you look at 2023, it's been bad in some aspects, but it's been really good for reading. And I hit, like I said, those three books that I said were my favorites went boom, boom, boom. Yep. They were three in a row. And I thought, I'm on a roll, I'm on a roll. And I will say there is nothing worse because reading is such an integral part of my life. There is nothing worse than reading a book that's just not that great. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I know. It, ma- it makes you so angry. And especially when it's like not bad enough to put down. You know, but it's not the kind of thing that inspires you like, oh, my God, I can't wait to read this book. You know, I read Fates and Let me just tell this story. I read Fates and Furies this year. And and actually, that was probably my favorite book of the year, but we can't use it because it was published in 2015. I bought the cover, the bought the copy that I read in 2015. I read the first 40 pages. I thought this book is not for me. Mm-hmm. I put it on my shelf. It's by Lauren Groff. There was an article in the New York Times about Lauren Groff, I don't know, sometime early fall or late summer, whatever. And I read it and I thought, everybody loves this. Should I go back and read this? And I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go back and read Fates and Furies. And I kept going. Mm-hmm. And eventually, it gets so good. And then it was the kind of book I rarely feel this way. Like I just actually don't want it to end. Mm-hmm. I never feel that way. I'm always very excited to get to the end of a book. Yeah, regardless of how good it is, I just wanted to be in this book forever and ever. And it's such a work of genius. It is very true that sometimes books are just not the right time, but there will be a time yeah. for them. That book in particular, the it starts out like a storytelling sort of myth and you're like, am I into this? But then it, it's very, it becomes very grounded in reality. Then like they're living in Brooklyn and it's a book about a marriage. Yeah. And they're living in Brooklyn and they don't have any money and that's when it starts to get interesting. Yeah. So... Lauren Massius asked us if there's books we disagree about. And I think we both agree that we don't need to slam any books. But I think content sometimes, you do not love a long book. I do not. And I love a long book. Like a, a thousand pages. I'm like, if I mean, if I'm liking it, I love that. Right. Uh, there are some very popular books that are long. I did read, I read some long books this year. I read Hope. 
by Andrew Richter. Mm-hmm. Loved, loved it. I read Wellness. I, I liked Wellness. And I didn't even think it felt that long. I Fates and Furious pretty- was pretty was long for me. But like anything, like the new Abraham Verhesey, I will not. I'm sorry. It it's be, so good. It, I know. I don't care. I It's too long. I, it's so good. Readers don't listen to her. Michaela Peterson just wrote in that if you could read only one author for the rest of your life, who would it be? Wow. Yeah. It's a tough one. What's your, your answer, Stephen King? I think my answer is Stephen King. Do well, I actually, my answer is Ellen Hildebrand. Yeah, right. <laughs> your answer is Stephen King. I don't know. You know, I'm not trying to think like i uh, I mean me... maggie o'farrell yeah maybe yeah i mean yes okay maggie because i've read two of her backlist this year also which i wouldn't put on my favorites for 2023 because they were written before then so so good yeah. oh my god so good yeah she's great so the last question that a lot of people wrote in is asked if there will be a season two of this podcast yes we are going to have a season two we already have Guests that we we have a really great list of yes. guests. I have one, you have one, with some like surprises that will just delight. I, if I can get these people to say yes, that will delight you. Yes, I cannot wait. And we we're probably thinking around the same time, of like a May June release around yeah. like kind of early spring or late spring. Yes. So we are excited about that, and we want to just thank everyone again for yes, listening. Thank you for listening. It has been. A real joy to be able to do this. And I I laugh. And for those of you who haven't heard, I said to Tim, when I retire, you and I should do a podcast and just like get big authors on. And I I think, I don't know, Tim was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then in the middle of winter, he he called me or texted me and said, okay, let's do it this. Let's do it this year. I think it was a week before I called Emmy. And then it was two weeks before you got home. It all happened very quickly. It all happened very quickly. And I thought, oh. Are we doing, like, when am I going to have time to do this? But I want to thank you because not only you are charming, not only is Tim charming and wonderful on the podcast, but he also does all the prep work. And I basically roll in hot and he gives me (laughs) the things that, the questions that we're going to ask and has been in charge of just sort of orchestrating. He is the conductor of this and does such a great job. And so thank you. My friend. Well, it's been honestly a true, my highlight of the year has been this because honestly, it just expands our friendship and it's just been such a joy to listen to you talk to these writers that I just, I love. I love these these people. So thank you. And I think we're going to look back on these episodes and be like, oh my God, we were such babies. We didn't (laughs) even know what we were doing. But it's been fun. Well, thank you to everyone involved once again. And thank you for listening. And we will see you next year. See you next year. Bye. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Hi, book lovers, Ellen Hildebrand and Tim Ehrenberg here again. Just a few closing notes before you leave. We want to thank our wonderful premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina and Nantucket Looms for their generous support in the making of this show. And we also want to thank our team behind the scenes, beginning with N Magazine. We want to thank our producer, Emmy Duncan, our technical director, Kit Noble, and our editor, Brian Murphy. We hope you'll keep tuning in for more book talks featuring a stellar lineup of special guests all season long. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time, and happy Happy reading. reading!